Ideas are everywhere. Welcome to Lessons Learned in Marketing, the Phoenix Group Podcast. My name is Kevin Hayes, and I'm going to be your host for today. In this episode, we're going to talk to Doug Lacombe, the president of Communicado. Doug is a seasoned veteran when it comes to media. He's been in the business for decades and has seen it all. You are going to really love his smart and thoughtful approach to digital marketing in 2018. So, Doug, who are you and what do you do? Uh... That's a question I've been asking myself for many years, but uh, in all seriousness, uh, Doug Lacombe, uh, president and founder of Communicato, a digital agency based in Calgary. We uh, mainly work with uh, associations and industrial type uh, large organizations, and um, we use uh, social media and content and the web to um, try and uh, persuade and enlighten people uh, about uh, a wide variety of uh, corporate and industrial issues. So can you tell me a little bit about your operating model when it comes to digital? Yeah, so, um, well, first of all, everything needs to be informed by by a strategy. And, uh, you know, it's it's a bit of a, a truism, but uh, essentially you can't just jump on Facebook or Twitter without having some business imperative behind that. So the backstop of, of business goals has to be there and that's where the strategy comes in. So, you know, if you're trying to sell things, which we rarely engage in that kind of stuff, but uh, then it's clear all your social media and blogging work and whatever should support the sale of the product and uh, and possibly support and, and brand and reputation. So we... Um, uh, Generally, when we're talking about it just in conversation, we use a bit of a, a cheat acronym. Uh, Post uh, uh, Forrester first proposed it, I think, about six or seven years ago, and that's uh, people, objectives, strategy, and technology. So who do you want to get at? What do you want them to do? How are you going to get them to do it? And then worry about which technologies, platforms, channels, whatever you like to, tactics uh, that will, uh, in fact, uh, get the audience working with you instead of being, you know, unaware or oblivious. Right, and so that's a, a great starting point and a foundation for and a, a critical uh, starting point for any digital strategy, which is connecting into real business objectives. Mm-hmm. Um, there's in our industry, in the digital marketing industry, we talk a lot about paid, earned, uh, social, uh, and owned media. Can you talk a little bit how that plays into digital or, or how you view uh, the peso model? Yeah, the, I mean, the peso model is such a great, handy little um, uh, kind of guide uh, guidepost. Um, the it it used to be not that long ago that if you if you just published to the web or published to Facebook, you had a reasonable chance of getting some audience, and that might be because uh, Facebook used to have extensive organic reach, which it has choked off in favor of paid reach, um, uh, or uh, it used to be easier to um, sort of game the system on uh, search engine optimization. Um, but now uh, these platforms are either choking off organic reach to support their ad business like Facebook um, so if you have a hundred fans on your page uh, on Facebook and um, you post something uh, a lot of people still think they're going to reach a hundred people um, or at least the majority of a hundred people but in fact you're probably lucky if you get two percent um, you know there's there's uh, exceptions uh, you know if, if it's a brand that has a ton of engagement and so on then then fine but so all of that means that you can't just 
rely on one type of media in the media mix. You, you need some paid, you need some earned, um, and earned me in, in, um, in the classic sense of public relations, earned would be, um, uh, you know, like a, getting placed in a in a newspaper article or um, being in in some way um, uh, featured in a, as a guest blogger or whatever. And uh, but but now uh, earned really means sort of the the audience that you gain from search engines, from people just finding you, from people commenting and linking back to you, and so on. And so without paying to boost content or sponsoring content and earning some backlinks and some features and some mentions and uh, getting the audience to act on your content through social media so it sends clues to Google that it's actually good content and all of that takes a, f a strong foundation of owned content um, because if you don't have your website full of good fresh stuff then Google won't reward you. So all of those things have to work together and that's uh, sort of where the art and the science uh, come together. You use data to inform your media mix but ultimately it'll be um, some combination of those four factors in the peso. So that sounds like a very different structure than what a marketing or advertising uh, firm or department organization uh, would have to deal with in uh, in their you know a couple of decades ago. So how how does an organization even adapt to implement the peso model um, into their ecosystem? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, uh, way back in my uh, newspaper and print advertising days. Um, you know, we, we use the same language, media mix, um, but back then it was how much of your budget should go to radio, how much should go to TV, how much should go to billboards and out of, out of home, uh, and how much uh, uh, would go to print. And um, uh, so that same concept is the concept behind the peso model, but the difference is that back then you could sort of set it and forget it. So yeah, you did a lot of heavy lifting at the front end to do creative campaigns and testing with uh, you know target audiences and, and so on. But once it was booked and out there, nobody talked back. It just ran. And, um, and now uh, you're constantly adjusting the media mix. You're constantly adjusting the creative um, because you get live feedback from your campaigns, whether that's actual audience feedback, you know, they jump on Facebook and they say, I hate this ad or I love this ad or something in between. Um, or uh, the data tells you that everybody's ignoring your ad or, oh my gosh, they're all going nuts sharing this with their friends. And so, so the old way was sort of set it and forget it, not to minimize that there was a lot of upfront heavy lifting. Um, but once you sort of um, you know, hit the on switch in the old days, that was it, let her go. Uh, and now, no, this is a, an ongoing, um, almost like maintenance or oversight issue. You have to be in there optimizing constantly. Yeah, and that piece around optimizing can be incredibly overwhelming, challenging, and daunting for an organization that isn't necessarily digitally savvy. Um, what is your experience with um, organizations adopting this constant feedback loop and adapting their marketing plans um, in in with your clients? Well, I would say, you know, barely anybody uh, 
is is really prepared to do the data analysis and the ongoing optimization. There's you know marketing and communications and PR departments are just not built for that. Um, they they were built uh, under the set it and forget it model or the more of a broadcast model. So um, and it really it's kind of like you know uh, if you if you used a, a medical metaphor uh, when I go to the doctor um, I want the doctor to explain the blood test to me. I don't I don't want to suddenly have to go get a PhD in in you know blood science or well, I'm sure it's called hematology or something anyway whatever <laughs> uh, but uh, you know I, I don't need every data point and this is the problem is a lot of organizations they go in they try to book their own Google AdWords and then they look at the data and then they go wow that's a lot of stuff wonder what it means anyway moving on <laughs> and uh, so really um, agencies and the industry as a whole has to feedback um, you know distilled versions of this data and then the critical point is to have somebody that can actually interpret it and say oh you know this blood test means you have high cholesterol you should uh, you know eat less meat or take a pill uh, and and ultimately that's what we're trying to do at, at Communicado and I think uh, you know all good practitioners are taking that data and distilling it into recommendations and so analysis becomes um, the heavy lifting as opposed to uh, leaving it to the client. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, one of the biggest myths around digital uh, that the ad agencies uh, and platforms have made available is that advertising is easy. All you have to do is put a Facebook post up and then you click boost post or all you do is set up a free AdWords account and you can do your own SEM ads. Uh, but the second that you look at performance or you want any more information uh, out of the data or you try to analyze the data to get better, your advertising campaign becomes exponentially more complicated and then you see rows and columns uh, which are the nemesis of the most marketers that I know and so you mm -hmm. really need to be equipped to read and understand and analyze and report in human language up to executives or clients or other stakeholders in the organization and that is that is capacity that most organizations don't have yeah, totally agree. And and it, it is taking data and turning it into something that um, decision makers can basically absorb and use. And uh, so, you know, in the same way as I don't want my accountant to send me every line item, I don't really care about all that crap that's in QuickBooks. I just want you to tell me, did I make a buck or not? And uh, am I on budget? You know, so, um, you know, somebody has to be in the middle to distill this into something sensible. And uh, because it's a live optimization type um, uh, industry and model, um, you know, that person has to be sort of constantly there. It's not, you know, optimize it once at the beginning or the midpoint of the campaign. Um, now, I mean, to a degree, you used to have to do this, you'd say, after the end of a campaign and, uh, you know, let's say, uh, you know, three decades ago, it'd be like, oh, you know, print pulled better than radio or radio pulled better than TV or whatever, and you would adjust your spend, except that happened in like, three, four, six month increments and it was after the fact and now it happens live as the thing's rolling out. So there's there's sort of no such thing as final creative and final media mix anymore. It's always in flux. So to 
switch gears a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, you've been in the media business for a long time and have mm -hmm. seen a whole bunch of changes. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you started out in the uh, newspaper business, uh, I believe, mm -hmm. and uh, now uh, Communicado is a is a full-on a boutique digital agency. Mm -hmm. uh, so I feel you've spent uh, uh, everywhere or you've traveled everywhere in the media world. Can you talk a little bit about how what is the new reality for PR um, people, marketing people, and comms people? Yeah, that's uh, that's an area that just fascinates me. You know how much change has happened, and um, you know it's a bit of a truism now to say that the internet has uh, disrupted or disintermediated all kinds of things. And all you have to do is think about uh, you know. Um, uh, well, anything digital like travel agencies uh, that, you know, in, except for the very uh, sort of elite ones or, or upscale ones, um, they've mostly disappeared. And there's all kinds of things that uh, have been challenged by this. And media is one of those that is getting more and more challenged. And in fact, we had an event this week with uh, three uh, prominent Calgary journalists uh, at a breakfast and, uh, you know, went through some of the things like the traditional media business model is melting down and melting down quickly and that model was that advertising pays the freight and the audience gets to enjoy the news or the programming and so it was entirely subsidized by advertising but now that um, essentially Facebook and, and Google have uh, sort of eaten their lunch as it were and have become the advertising duopoly uh, at least in North America um, it is really challenging for uh, uh, you know anybody using other mediums to optimize budgets, and so if you're huge like Coke or Ford or or whatever, you can still afford that mass reach, um, but uh, uh, you know the the regular and local advertiser is is generally not uh, not capable of doing that. So all of this means that. Um, things that used to be separate and siloed. So public relations, I, I perceive that it, it, it evolved because there were journalists and they wanted to get earned media coverage for their companies. And so um, uh, public relations goes beyond that, of course, into stakeholder engagement and all kinds of other stuff. But, you know, by and large, the, the drill was we as a company have a story to tell. We're going to get that journalist to tell it um, because it's a benefit to their readers and so on and so forth. And, and, and that system worked. But now that that um, mode of production and delivery is basically uh, under duress, I mean, under severe threat, um, PR people have to start thinking about using paid media because you can put all the news releases or stories you want on Facebook and you won't reach anybody if you don't pay for it. So I've started using this goofy term that I made up, public remark advertising, uh, which is uh, just kind of a word jumble. But uh, it, it gives the idea that things that you know used to be siloed were only siloed because the marketing people dealt with the ooh the money stuff, and the and the PR people dealt with the uh, ooh the pure editorial kind of ivory tower stuff, and you know uh, et cetera. And and nowadays, um, I think any communicator from any discipline needs to use all the tools in the peso toolbox so I, I don't think that that luxury of being a purist um, even makes sense in today's uh, media production environment 
Uh, that's real interesting. And so I imagine that poses challenges. I know I've seen it uh, with organizations as they try to uh, reduce or break down those walls uh, that were previously in place by the PR, marketing, and comms people. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about any successful approaches or executions of reducing those silos that you've seen in organizations or can you talk about i guess approaches that a company could take to help foster that uh increased com- uh communication between those three departments yeah like i think um i mean it, it probably all comes down to upfront planning and and you know collaboration and conversation you know just being clear and transparent but uh, in in the organizations that we work with um typically their associations typically they have one or two communicators and that communicator is sort of a you know does all things and so they may have come from a marketing background or a media background or a PR background whatever so whatever their background is then we try to sort of um, backfill their knowledge as it were and say look I know you're from PR but the only way that this PR message is going to get out there is if we buy an ad campaign to boost the content and sponsor the stories and push them further um, and so we, we sort of help them with the area that they're uh, least familiar with now if you turn the tables and you go talk to a uh, a marketing person uh, and say okay uh, you know you, you got to put this into a storytelling mode and you know make it more well I mean they might know how to do a collateral brief or a, or a creative brief for an ad campaign but they, they might not be that familiar with writing a, a story in a, in a narrative style so <clears throat> it's really just kind of backfilling now when you're dealing with larger organizations that have actual departments uh, which you know I, certainly in my corporate days I had uh, several experiences like that then it, it really is saying okay you know <laughs> if we're using the peso model then you over there in marketing you're the paid but you're not this is not the only thing uh, you over in PR you're the earned and that's not the only thing and and you have to coordinate uh, the football team uh, so that each player is sort of um, on the field doing what they're supposed to do and so it requires more coordination and in some organizations where they outsource all of this it means quarterbacking multiple agencies you know maybe one agency is good at storytelling another one's good at um, you know traditional advertising and other ones good at digital advertising whatever the case may be and so it does put more uh, onus of responsibility on the client to quarterback specialty agencies mm. when do you think it's appropriate or inappropriate to outsource to an agency well the goal should always be to be as close to your authentic brand voice as possible and uh, so you know there's only a few ways to achieve that and essentially one is do it do it from the inside um, and then you're theoretically guaranteed to have your own voice because it's you you doing all the blogging and talking and posting and whatever um, and the other is to use what we like to call the embedded journalist approach and so it's it's you bring in a an, uh, an agency an outsource team a freelancer whatever uh, and um, and then you you have to create an ongoing dialogue with that person as if they were just down the hall even though they're maybe uh, on Skype with you or on slack or uh, on Basecamp or whatever so 
Um, so the idea is that that person becomes an, the, the digital um, uh, practitioner as an extension of your team, more or less as if you hired a part-timer. But but the, the early part of the implementation, so the strategy would define what's the brand voice, what are the key messages and all those things. And then in implementation, you need both uh, awareness of the voice and uh, and and tools that help you to get that voice correct. So, for example, we uh, typically use a social media management system called Sprout Social, and it has an excellent sort of back-channel uh, tasking and sort of assignment um, uh, team collaboration tool. And so. If a post comes in and we're like, oh, gee, I'm not sure we've faced this one before. I'm not sure what the exact answer is to that. Then then you can back channel it to the client and say, what would you guys say to this? What's your position on that? What's your key message on this topic? And, um, and you know, essentially through osmosis, you learn uh, their voice and, and become an extension of their team. Yeah, I've found it to be a special kind of company Um or a really, really big company with a lot of resources of people um, and money that can handle all their digital in-house by themselves. It is a rare company that can do that. And Mm -hmm. so uh, I do believe uh, exactly what you're saying around um, whether you're, you're insourcing or outsourcing your digital management, whether it's advertising or social media management, um, the 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 approach is the same which is um, tight communications and and that embedded journalist somebody who even if they're not at your company acts as if they're a journalist for your company can yield you great results um, and then it doesn't matter if you're writing the content in-house or you're doing it out or <laughs> Out, uh, you're outsourcing it. <laughs> if you, or you could do it in the outhouse. That's also an option. <laughs> I, I feel a lot of people do do things in the outhouse. Anyway, uh, so the uh, it's a matter about a process and how do you communicate your core um, uh, messaging and themes. Uh, that process is more important than if it's insourced or outsourced. Because even in your own organization, you can have disconnecting communications and marketing can be doing one thing and, and PR doing another thing and comms is doing the third thing. There can be just as much inefficient communication in a business as there are in uh, outsourcing uh, your content to an agency like Communicado. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think um, I, I remember one time when I uh, when I worked at Canada Newswire, and I, I obviously I won't name the client, but we had a very very large corporate client, and uh, um, we were trying to work on a thing that had both a PR and a marketing component to it. And uh, uh, in spite of the fact that the PR and the marketing department were on the same floor of the same building that they were in, and we were also in that same building. Um, we had to introduce them to their colleagues uh, and vice versa. Um, so they weren't even talking, right? They were super siloed and that, that, you know, it's not always the case, but it, it can be the case that, that, uh, you know, these things are, are compartmentalized to the point where they don't even necessarily talk that much. So, uh, that is challenging. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, ultimately, you know, having somebody that can adopt that, that voice and be authentic and in some ways almost be the advocate for the reader, viewer, listener, right? Um, so, you know, companies quite rightly get all caught up in what they want to say and what they want people to do, and and that's partly, I think, a, a, an outcome from the uh, you know decades of broadcast mentality. Um, but nowadays, 
there's so much content and so many interruptions in our day, uh, whether it's radio ads or billboards or, you know, I don't know, phone calls coming in, text messages, everything that, you know, to pierce the clutter and the noise, you, you really have to speak in the audience's voice and tell them what they want to hear as opposed to what you want to say and then kind of you know, wrap what you want to say in what they want to hear. So th- this business of being able to craft an audience-friendly story and and merge the elements of public relations and marketing and advertising um, is a pretty rare skill set at this point in history, I think. And so that's, um, you know, people are just coming up the curve. And so uh, certainly uh, that's an argument to some degree for outsourcing if you don't have the in-house skills. And particularly if you're a smaller organization, you only have one or two people um, in comms, then uh, my goodness, I mean, you'd have to hire a, another five or six to cover all those skill sets when in fact you could just uh, quarterback a bunch of freelancers or an agency. Yeah, well, you've got content to write and then the content has to be web friendly uh mm-hmm. then the content uh, in some cases it makes sense just to have copy in other cases it makes sense to have copy and rich multimedia then you got to mm-hmm. put it on a platform and then you got to syndicate it out and then you got to measure it and then you got to measure those results against the objectives of your uh, business and wow like the the quantity of work to do is quite overwhelming to somebody who already has an overwhelming uh, amount of work to do um, so it's it's I, I understand why organizations are having a, a struggle adapting to digital and why agencies like Communicado are are of high value to them. Well, it definitely is uh, overwhelming to some folks and and quite often they're um, you know, for whatever reason, organizational reasons or whatever, people are expected to do this off the corner of your desk. And there's no way that you you will never get to, you know, uh, oh, I should write that blog post today. Oh, wait, we have a meeting. Oh, wait, the boss wants to see me. Oh, wait, I have to get this, uh, you know, news release out the door, whatever it is. And uh, and so, you, you know, the, the reality is that in order to create content, as you described it in that sort of work workflow-like manner, um, you need to be disciplined and that means somebody has to focus. And uh, I count myself super lucky that I grew up career-wise in a newspaper because newspapers are, in effect, content factories. And if we ignore the mode of distribution, the idea that, you know, everybody plays a part in the factory so that the end product comes out, uh, you know, like imagine if uh, if it was a car factory and, you know, the wheel guy decided he wasn't putting wheels on today. I mean, that just doesn't work. And so, you know, in the same way with digital, uh, the, the optimizing person can't just not do it one day. But if it's off the corner of your desk, it's, it's easy to let these things slip. And then next thing you know, you're you're wasting money. And and we've had you know all kinds of uh, case studies, or well, more anecdotes. I think is the more proper term uh, of uh, uh, clients that we've worked with, where uh, other agencies have have booked huge campaigns, declared them to be a success uh, based on um, you know quote unquote hits to the homepage, uh, and um, and all you had to do was dig a little deeper into Google Analytics to see that, you know, in one case they spent 500,000 bucks to get, you know, a quarter million people to spend under eight seconds and then bounce and not look at one other page. So effectively you blew a half million bucks on getting people to scream in horror at your website and run away. <laughs> uh, that That is not good spending, but 
somebody has to tease out those details in order to find the flaw in the campaign. And, uh, you know, that that's where they, they sort of drop the ball. So what you've talked a bit about organic and it organic reach. So on Facebook uh, specifically uh, or on social platforms, organic reach is getting choked. Um, can you talk a little bit about what you've seen uh, over the past couple of years and how you're responding to um, that piece and follow up? Do you have any advice to people who are still running? Uh, do you think it's worthwhile to build your organic following at this point? Well, I, I, I'm starting to see organic uh, audience building as a, a side effect or a byproduct of what your actual end goal is. Uh, so for, for years, we have espoused and, and promoted and uh, used a uh, hub-and-spoke publishing model uh, where um, the best thing to invest your time and energy and money into is your website and and make it your your printing press as it were and and then send stuff out into the world but always with the idea that you're luring them back to the website um, there have been platforms that have challenged that for example Instagram is sort of notoriously not uh, link friendly so this the awkward like link is in bio uh, is sort of a, an oddball thing to do, but um, that's kind of where we're at. So, uh, but um, so I'm, I'm my thinking on it has evolved to where it's uh, it's it's like an ecosystem, and um, you know maybe the original term the web uh, actually describes it best that it's this intricate interconnection of uh, platforms that are you know building awareness and and building uh, you know keeping people uh, thinking about your brand your products your whatever um, but just so that when they're warmed up they will come back to the website and do something whether that's buy shoes or read a blog post or download a white paper or, or what have you and so um, you know, again, it's really a case of mixing the media in that peso uh, model so that you allocate the money to the right things that will allow people to um, uh, approach the content as they want to. Hmm. Uh, one question before we head to uh, wrapping this up is mm -hmm. uh, around your Communicado's particular business and its strength. Uh, one of its strengths lies in. Uh, in the ability to work with organizations where you are looking at persuading and influencing people. So uh, another way to put that is uh, you don't generally work with clients that sell widgets um, and need to show online revenue. So right. what, um, how, how do you start to measure effectiveness when there is no sell of this thing for X amount of dollars where you're really just um, trying to sell ideas and get people to think differently uh, how do you know anything's ever working in that scenario yeah that's one of the trickiest things and that's that's certainly not new uh, with digital it's uh, it's you know for decades that's been a, a problem so you know back in the day I put an ad in the paper and I say uh, you know hey we're a good industry and then do people believe it or not believe it and um, at, at the end of the day, the only way to really tease that out is through uh, research, surveying, uh, polling, um, you know, focus groups, uh, 
uh, internet listening now uh, certainly effective. Uh, I know you did a an interview recently with uh, uh, Cam Steed from Smashed Abacus about the importance of social media monitoring, and that certainly factors in. But you know, I, some days I wish we were just selling widgets because it'd be like our widget is good and it's got feature benefit, feature benefit, but mostly it solves these problems for you, Mr. Customer, Ms. Customer, and. Um, and you know, but when when you're selling ideas, the, the only way to really know is um, uh, is to survey and and you know observe their behavior. So if the idea was you should vote a certain way, well then you'll know if your candidate wins or doesn't win. Uh, if the if if your the idea you're selling is that hey we're good for the environment, then pretty much you have to ask people before, hey, are they good for the environment? Oh, 80% said yes. And then, you know, do a bunch of communication stuff, digital stuff, whatever. And then, you know, six months, a year later, do another survey and be, oh, look, 85% now think we're good for the environment. Great. Our, our message is getting some traction. So, you know, I call it the last quarter mile. The last quarter mile in communications is is always the most difficult because, you know, you get people responding to surveys, um, in ways that they think the surveyor wants to hear uh, you know there's confirmation bias there's self-selection bias there's you know echo chamber problems uh, so you know there's a whole sort of research methodology science that that goes behind the did we change hearts and minds um, but um, you know, if anyone claims that, yeah, we wrote this one blog post and then we changed 10,000 Canadians minds uh, surely they're lying. I mean, <laughs> you know, it, this is an, an act of ongoing persuasion and trust building. And, and really what we're talking about is, is emotions as much as facts. You, you just can't bring a calculator and, and hope to win everybody over. Yeah. And that's one of the gaps that uh, in terms of measurement um, or one of the expectations that has to be properly set. And even, you know, when you look at measuring, awareness campaigns um, you know you can use Facebook's ad recall uh, tool which is an approximate and has a whole bunch of holes in it um, mm -hmm. or you can look at your search traffic and over a campaign and say oh well, it looks like we got more organic more direct search um, mm -hmm. um, which is all great but that's our, our data isn't at a point yet where we can measure uh, emotion or sentiment um, as an example if somebody comes to we notice that search traffic has gone up you know 20 percent during this campaign during this awareness campaign and people are looking at three or four pages that's great but why are they looking at those three or four pages those are the things we we don't quite have answers yet is it is it somebody anti our cause so they're just trying to find more dirt on us is it somebody who is pro our cause and they're trying to figure out uh, they're trying to get more good information is it somebody who doesn't know and you know so there's a lot of information we don't have and one of the issues we have in in today's world is that um, we think we have access to a whole bunch of data and that will give us a whole bunch of answers uh, which uh, actually in my experience the exact opposite is true we have access to data but we just get more and more questions out of it yeah i mean you know i think the to, to my mind the appropriate use of data in this in this context is is as a proxy to our end goal so so if if our end goal is to um, you know, I don't know, let's say assure people that uh, the water they're drinking is safe in their community, um, then, you know, clearly 
you ask them, hey, do you think the water's safe? And then next year you ask them again and, you know, in between, did anybody die from the water and so on and so forth? And oh, by the way, we did this chemistry and so on. But, you know, it's it's very hard. Like everything is sort of a proxy. The fact that they looked at, as you said, three or four pages doesn't tell me anything about whether they're happy, sad, uh, pro or con. Um, so, so we're always looking for the closest proxy for the thing we actually want. So if we want them to believe the water is safe, that's great. Um, I'm looking for all the little tidbits in the data trail that indicate that they're starting to think the water is safe. Uh, and, um, you know, that, that, uh, requires some subjectivity. Uh, certainly good tone and sentiment analysis requires a human, not an algorithm, um, because, you know, robots are stupid about jokes and so on. Um, uh, hopefully when our robot overlords take over the world, they won't hear this recording, but uh, <laughs> kidding, robots, love you guys. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, you get my point, right? You can't prove 100% that, you know, what caused somebody to believe this or that. And all you have to do is is look at how just about every pollster has gotten just about every election wrong in the last five years. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's. <laughs> I'm surprised there's still an industry, quite frankly, because like what what's the use of wrong conclusions? Uh, so uh, there's a whole bunch of uh, data methodology problems that come with that. And uh, so you know, as has always been the case in communications, we look for um, clues that tell us that yeah, we're 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 convincing people we're we're winning the battle where whatever it is yeah i like what you uh first came out with about the measurement which is getting as close to the people as possible uh to get the information that is the most valuable piece so whether you're an organization a big organization that can hire a firm uh to go and talk to people like in citrix or leger or, or whoever's out there mm -hmm. um or you're a smaller agency and or a smaller organization maybe you do email uh, surveys or you use google consumer surveys or you just go out on facebook and drive people to a landing page that has some survey questions you do on website uh, surveys there's a lot of different ways that you can assess uh, i guess tone and sentiment and uh, but the the point is um, at the front end of a campaign and in, in my experience it's about talking to the people and understanding what they care about and how to talk to them on their terms and then at the tail end of the campaign it's still about talking to people and understanding if um, what you did or if their views or opinions have have changed or been influenced or um, have they done anything that contributes to the goals of your business or campaign yeah, and the beauty of digital in in that circumstance. So it used to be in in uh, mainstream media and marketing and PR and so on that you could you sort of did all that uh, thinking upfront, and then you ran your campaign, and then afterwards you would check. Uh, and now um, you can do it before, during, and after mm -hmm. because you can optimize on the fly. So it it just gives us more tools in the toolkit to understand how the uh, consumer or the target audience is reacting, and and adjust on the fly. And adjusting on the fly used to be super difficult, and now you know it's way less difficult anyway. Uh, but you know we've certainly seen uh, circumstances like. Uh, you know, I think uh, Procter and Gamble lately has uh, taken Facebook to task, uh, and uh, so it's a very immature industry. And um, there's some very big advertisers out there who are saying, 
you better make your stuff more bulletproof, more accountable, more trackable, uh, et cetera, uh, to, to earn our money. And uh, I think that's a good thing. I think that represents the maturing of the industry. Uh, and um, and and then that leaves agencies like uh, like ours and and like uh, yours at Phoenix uh, to guide people down a path of these are the reliable mediums, these are the reliable platforms. The, this is data you can trust. This is data you can't trust, and and steer people to the best possible ROI for their uh, communication spend that you possibly can. Doug, this has been a great podcast. Thanks so much for taking the time. Uh, how, how do people get a hold of you? Uh, just go to communicato.com uh, or search Doug Lacombe on the internet. I'm all over that darn thing. Uh, and um, yeah, thanks very much, Kevin, for the opportunity. It's uh, been a great conversation. Uh, I love talking shop with you anytime. Uh, usually we do it at Cora's over breakfast, but this is cool too. Uh, and it uh, gave me a chance to trot out uh, Skype, uh, which I haven't had a chance to use in a few years. So uh, uh, look at that, uh, old dog, new tricks. So, uh, <laughs> so thanks for the opportunity. And um, yeah, great talking to you. Great, Doug. We'll uh, talk to you soon. Take care. I really hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about anything we talked about, please feel free to tweet us at the Burning Bird. Otherwise, send us an email at the powers that be at the Also, if you want to be a guest on our podcast, send us a note. We'd love to talk to you. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week.